July week, folks, and welcome to the Fallon Forum. As always, we're trying to bring you the independent voices and civil dialogue that you won't find elsewhere on the airwaves. This is Ed Fallon. I'm your host, and we are coming to you from the heart of America's heartland, Des Moines, Iowa. And if you like what we do, we could sure use your support. You can visit the donations page on the Fallon Forum website. Sign up for a monthly donation if you can, or if you run a small business or nonprofit, a nonprofit that's doing good work in the world, not bad work. If you run a nonprofit or a small business, consider becoming a sponsor. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Check out Gateway's catering and floral services. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Uh, thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. Learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. Well, I'm delighted today to have with me David Osterberg. And we're going to be covering a lot of ground, different topics. We're going to be talking about uh, electric cars. We're going to be talking about President Biden's gas tax, ho gas tax holiday. Good idea, bad idea. But we're going to start off by talking about how Democrats might avoid losing in November. Uh, this is, a, you know, and, and again, I'm talking in this case about Iowa. I know this program broadcasts elsewhere. But many of you living in red states or purple states or states that might have some capacity to go either way might find this conversation interesting because what we're dealing with here in Iowa could actually be significant uh, in a similar capacity with different issues elsewhere in the country. David, welcome to the program. I feel welcome. Well, good. You are very, very much welcome. And so... Um, you know, I guess, I think, to me, the best place to start this conversation, how can Democrats avoid being shellacked in November, is to touch base to your, let's hear about your own experience. Again, you're a former state legislator. You served mm -hmm. for 12 years? I did. 12 years. And you represented a district that uh, was not overwhelmingly Democratic. That's right. Until the last two years when we had redistricting and I was given Democratic heaven, uh, Johnson County, where the University of Iowa is. But until then, I had a uh, pretty marginal district. OK. And yet you were elected in a marginal district because you chose to live in a chicken coop. <laughs> no, not exactly. Well, I chose to live in a, a chicken coop to, to demonstrate that um, Americans were really wasteful, and they, I could live with what they just threw away, and that's why I was in that, that particular building. Um, but the reason I got some notoriety is they tried to throw me out, they being okay. the Department of uh, Public Health in uh, Lynn County. And just, just to put kind of a, a picture to this, this you, didn't have, you, had a, you didn't have to roost at night. You didn't like have to wrap your arms around a little. No, no, no. You had a bed. <laughs> You had a bed. You had, yeah, had a, I had a bed. I had had everything I needed. I had a telephone. I had a television. Okay. I had to, you know, cut my own wood um, in order to have some heat. But lots of people do that. Sure, some chickens do that. <laughs> not cutting. I don't okay, know. Okay, maybe not. Yeah. So, but anyway, it, it was a renovated coop, and the point was, it was a building that uh, was minimal but adequate, and that you felt it was. Uh, uh, the place you wanted to live to make that statement, but the um, county officials disagreed. They disagreed. Um, 
uh, and they, they disagreed because my uh, landlady's ex-husband decided to make trouble for her. And by, you know, coming after she was renting, I was paying $15 a month, <laughs> mainly for the electricity. Can't beat uh, that. To live there. All right. I'm sorry? You can't beat that, $15 a month. No, uh, no. It was a, it, you couldn't. Uh, that was very little money. But it was also something I could do, and I wanted to do for at least a year. But after that year is when they, um, the f- officials came after me. And consequently, I got home one day, and there was this you know, yellow tape saying, this is, you know, do not pass. Um, I appealed, and uh, they turned down my appeal. And then it became a big issue, you know, little guy against the state. But... When I decided to run for the state legislature in this very marginal district that no other Democrat really wanted to run in, I had that going for me. I'm sure there were a bunch of good old boys out in Cedar County that voted for me because I had decided to uh, protest uh, state government, or in this case, county government. And if I was against county government, they were on my side. And I only won by 400 votes, so I figured there had to be 200 of them. That was it, yeah. So, um, again, you you did this while working as a professor of economics at uh, Cornell College, correct? That's right, and that's why it became something, you know, professor in a chicken coop. So, uh, you know, that was was the headline in a lot of places. It was a. Uh, it was fun to do. When you, when you say it was like a, the a, only thing is that my my experiment that I wanted to do, uh, I had to continue once I won because you can't just say, well, okay, I won now I'm leaving. So I was there five winters. So I I was there. I cut a lot of wood. <laughs> <laughs> Your punishment for winning was to be compelled to live in a chicken coop for four years longer than you had planned. That's right. All right. So fast forward. Um, 2022, Iowa, formerly a purple state, not that long ago a purple state. I mean, we had Democratic governors uh, back in uh, 2010. We had a Democratic legislature back then. So it's been a decade. Uh, But, uh, I mean, Iowa has always been fairly mixed. But right now, it's pretty solid red. So It seems that way, yeah. And you would get that from not only from the vote, but for the number of Trump flags. Uh, right. So why do you think that your experience of living in a chicken coop is relevant to the Democratic Party's prospects in 2022 in Iowa? Well, I think that one particular Democrat, um, Jessica Witkus, who's uh, in my Senate district, the states, uh, she's running for the state Senate district since she only lives about three miles from me. She's running against this carbon pipeline, the CO2 pipeline that would take a a lot of um, very, very high pressure carbon dioxide and ship it thousands of miles. It's amazing how far they want to ship this stuff in order to sequester it because sequestering has this uh, very, very good uh, tax deal if you sequester carbon. She's very much opposed. She's been opposed for a long time and has a name associated with that. 
So although she's running in a district that is certainly as bad as the House district that I ran in, Mm -hmm. she's going to have a lot of votes for people who say, I don't like Democrats, but uh, anybody who's going to stop those guys from coming across my land and claiming eminent domain to put in their pipeline that they're going to make a bunch of money on to ruin my farmland, I ain't for that. I'm for her. Okay. That's why she can win. So is is that the situation for a lot of, I mean, in this, I could see how that could be playing, help, that could help a Democrat or a Republican or an independent because not all, not all landowners in Iowa who are being affected are of one party or another. There are 2,000 miles of pipeline proposed to cut across Iowa. For, for, you know, in comparison, there were 350 miles of Iowa farmland that the Dakota Access Pipeline went through. This is huge. And the landowners being affected, they're not, they're, they're not all Democrats like Jessica. They're all mixed. And the political response has been mixed. You've had, uh, you've had well, Kim Reynolds, governor, Republican governor, supports the pipeline. Uh, yeah. You have high-ranking rank, high Democrats that seem to support it as well. So, uh, it's, One or two, but mainly it's a Republican, it's a Republican thing. Do you think people do you th- recognize that? Okay, do you, think, sure. do you think people Perhaps recognize that? Are, my golly. Do you think people recognize that? That's my question. Is it? Is it? This I become- think they do, and and um, I I think that uh, like Jessica, I think many other uh, people running in marginal districts taking on this issue would help them get votes they weren't likely to get anyway. That's okay. why it, for a Democrat, it's different than it is for a Republican. Republican might have got those votes anyhow. Jessica probably wouldn't have unless. She has decided to take a stand here, and she has. Hmm. And, and he's well known for it. That's the other thing. That's the, you know, we and part of the advertising I'm working in her campaign is, uh, yes, that Jessica, she is the one that's running here. And although um, she might not be the first choice of a number of people, when they find out that there's that she is on their side on an issue that's fundamental, she's going to get votes uh, yeah. she would normally get. So, you know, you might have, I mean, I'm guessing that across the state there will be situations where you've got a, a candidate or an incumbent who haven't spoken very strongly either way. I mean, politicians love to love to sit on the fence. I mean, I don't know, it looks uncomfortable to me, but, you know, there's a lot of politicians, who that's <laughs> where they land and that's where they stay, and they can convince voters that, you know, well, I, you know, I see this, I see that. I mean, one good example is the Democratic leader of the Iowa House. I mean, when she was challenged on Iowa Press about the carbon dioxide pipelines, she basically said, I can see both sides. And, you know, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, I would think most voters would be really tired of that. <laughs> I would think that would just not resonate at all. But yet, you know, if you've got an incumbent and they're strong enough in other ways and they say, I can see both sides, maybe, maybe voters would cut them some slack. Maybe voters would not be inclined to move toward a candidate that is opposed to these pipelines, which, again, I think the majority of Iowans are opposed to them. I think, that, I think you're right. I, don't, I haven't seen any polling on that, but I think you're right. Yeah. And so it's pretty clear right now that re- Republicans had a chance to do something about this in the Iowa legislature. Uh, I mean, one, one representative, Bobby Kaufman, had offered a bill, uh, pulled it, later came back and did an amendment to put a moratorium on the use of eminent domain or the threat of eminent domain through next February, and then that never made it. 
There was also a bill offered by a state senator from Northwest Iowa that also never went very far. So it became really clear that Republicans in the Iowa legislature weren't that serious about this issue. But again, why would they be? You've got their governor, Kim Reynolds, clearly on the side of the pipeline companies. You've got the biggest donor to Republican candidates, Bruce Rastetter, behind one of the three public, three, three, uh, three pipelines. You know, so <laughs> I, I understand why Republicans, even if they were, you know, individually opposed, would take no action. But what I don't understand is why Democrats didn't jump into that vacuum and say, oh, yeah, we're the champions on this issue, with a few exceptions. I mean, you mentioned Jessica, and I know there are people, other people around the state who have, you know, have been importantly opposed to these pipelines. But I, I just, it's, it's remarkable to me that such an opportunity given to Democrats, basically handed to them by Republicans, has been pretty much ignored. Yep. Uh, well, this is one of these times that um, happens once in a while, Ed, where you and I agree. Well, <laughs> you know, David, I wish you could be right more often. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right. So, yeah, I mean, do you see this as playing into the congressional races at all? I'm not sure, but I think so. Yeah, I think I think they could certainly play that way. And I think it might it may not be a lot of extra votes. But remember mm-hmm. that um, although I was pretty, pretty red in general, um, there are three competitive uh, House districts. Right. Thanks three to a fair district. Yeah. Congressional district. Yeah, thanks to a and fair redistricting. The Democrat would be good to say, yeah, I don't see why we should be doing that when there are many better things to do to fight climate change. Right. And so the opposition says, the Republican opponent says, yeah, well, you may think that, but your president is the one pushing this money that these corporations are going to use to build these pipelines. Sure. And uh, you then have to say, well, I don't always agree with uh, my president, and this is a time when uh, he's wrong, and I'm not going to vote with him. Okay. That's what, I mean, that's a, people don't mind hearing that either. And is that happening? Are any, any of the three Democrats running in the competitive seats uh, saying that? I don't know that. Hmm. I, I am not clo- close enough to any of those campaigns. Yeah, so, uh, right. I'm, I tend to get involved in politics at the lowest level because that's where— I probably do, um, m- might make a difference. The chicken coop level. Yeah. <laughs> right. Small is beautiful. Small is right. beautiful. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, I wonder, my sense is that there are these kinds of issues all over the country right now. Because, I mean, the, even ju- just looking at the carbon dioxide pipeline build-out, that, they, they want to they increase that from 5,000 miles to 65,000 miles. And again, 2,000 of those miles are in Iowa, but that leaves 63,000 miles somewhere else. I would think this is potentially a big issue elsewhere as well. You? I think so. Well, there's a film on on this, uh, the number of places where pipelines and uh, various ways in which we're getting more, uh, you know, putting more carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. Um, those, I, I think that's a, a, it's a potent issue. And that and film is? When you get a potent national or international or, you know, um, survival of a species kind of issue, and then you have a place to do it locally, I think that's good. Yeah. And what's, that, what's the film you're referencing? 
Well, I mean, yeah, just the fact that climate change is, is ah. a reality, and this this is uh, this is not a major way that we're going to change carbon dioxide. I mean, for instance, the ADM plant over here, that's only I don't know 12 miles from me, is going to do one of those pipelines. But the reason they put a lot of uh, carbon dioxide into the atmosphere is they have a coal plant for crying out loud. The first thing they should do if uh, they yeah. want to do something about climate change is stop using coal, period. The, the amount of um, CO2 they're going to be able to sequester through the process of making ethanol is small in relation to the whole thing. Well, that, You've got to go after the big issue, and that's yeah. coal. And that's a good segue, David. We've got to run to a short break here. Again, this is Ed Fallon talking with David Osterberg. Uh, we've got to take a short break, and when we come back, uh, that's going to be our segue into a conversation about President Biden's gas tax holiday. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Market and Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed, and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. You know, at a time when big corporations control most of the media, our niche here is more important than ever. Please support what we do. You go to the Fallon Forum website, sign up for our weekly blogs, uh, donate, and even better, become a monthly sponsor. And uh, speaking of sponsors, uh, thanks to Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Uh, Dr. Joel Westrom and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish. The clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 o'clock until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Western Optometry. All right, welcome back to the conversation with me, uh, David Osterberg, uh, a longtime uh, fellow traveler of mine that uh, that uh, we find we agree about half the time, right, David? Mm, maybe a little less. Okay, <laughs> all right, be that way. <laughs> all right, well, anyway, uh, <laughs> so uh, I'm... I'm watching uh, President Biden's response to the war in Ukraine, and there's lots to say about that on a number of different angles, but I was noticing the, the uh, gas tax holiday and thinking, okay, people are going to save 18 cents per gallon of, da- per gallon of gas. Um, why not? Bad thing? Good thing? What do you think, David? I think it's a dumb thing. I, I think that it's uh, clearly not... You're clearly not going to be able to find out where that 18 cents goes. I mean, the volatility of oil prices 
they may drop 25 cents tomorrow or go up 25 cents tomorrow. And for you then to think that your 18 cents is somehow going to go to the consumer and not be gobbled up uh, is wishful thinking. Well, it'll, it'll go to the consumer and be gobbled up by the consumer, presumably on other things that they're now having to pay way too much money for, like a gallon of milk or baby formula or rent. Uh, I mean, that 18... If you, if you want to do that, then you send out a check to everybody representing about how much gas they're going to use. That's the way you would do that if you really wanted to do a macro uh, effect on there. Right. Just taking 18 cents off, you don't know if it's going to go to the pocket of some gazillionaire or if it's going to go to somebody who's driving, uh, you know, driving a truck that's too big that he doesn't need anyway. So I don't know where it's going to go, but it's not a good idea. If you want to do something, you confront the oil companies. You don't kind of play with them. Okay, but you're saying um, a good idea if it's targeted correctly. So in other words, the the gazillionaire driving the the Hummer, the low mileage Hummer, doesn't get anything, but the poor person trying to get to work gets a check equivalent to 18 cents a gallon. That's right. But how does that work? find it going there. But first of all, it's not an awful lot of money compared to the price of gasoline, which is, you know, 4 or $5. So it's, it makes it look as if you're doing something, and Biden needs to do that because his stand on Ukraine has, prob- if you can make the argument, helped bring those prices up, which I think that you know, that's the right thing to do. I'm, I'm, I'm a not opposed to his stand on Ukraine, I am to his stand here with the 18 cents. And I hope they don't pass it because I think he needs help. I don't think he can do it unilaterally. But I think that um, this is what I believe. If you're going to do something about these prices, then try to break that monopoly of oil companies. And you can do that by having more people have their own energy source on their own roof by producing um, more more electricity. Okay. Now, this isn't a perfect substitution, but it is going to be a way of getting more energy. And especially if you're moving towards electric cars, that's a way to get more miles. And you get those more miles uh, there and with without having to give oil companies something. And yeah, I want to talk about electric cars in the next segment. Uh, and, and, that, and, and yeah, so one, one way to deal with that is you get your solar panels but on your roof and you can charge your own darn car. Great. But, um, you know, you've got, you've got big utility companies that don't want that to happen. They want to continue to own and control all the power. How do you fight yeah, that? Do. How do you fight that? Well, I mean, there's, there are, first of all, you have oil companies versus utility companies. Uh, I, you know, I, I guess I have a dog in that fight, but I'd say that at least the utility company is regulated. They can't willy-nilly raise their electric rates by, you know, the equivalent of 25 cents. They have to get permission. Yeah, they have, they have, a, they have a couple. Just per, about every state. They're yeah, a regulated they, monopoly. Right, they have a couple. These per, other guys are not quite a monopoly, but they act like one, and they're not regulated by anybody, and that's okay. why... The price of gas has gone up so much. So I, I want to you know jump, jump back to the original point of conversation about the eighteen cent 
uh, reduction in a gallon of gas. Now, by my math, always worth double checking. Uh, if you're an average person using about 20 gallons of gas a week, is that about right? I don't know. I'm not average that yeah, way. Could be. Could be. Okay. Yeah, you might you might save 200 bucks a year. That's you know this reminds me of the debate we had at the Capitol. You had you had moved on. Uh, it was back during a really really cold winter where home heating fuel prices went through the roof, pun intended, and. Mm. Um, and the Republicans proposed eliminating the sales tax on utility bills. Now, in my district at the time, in the inner city of Des Moines, where you had a bunch of, uh, I mean, a lot of old houses with very uh, poor insulation and very high heating bills, you know, that, that would mean, you know, between, say, 300 and 600 bucks of savings a year. Again, to some people, that doesn't seem like a lot of money. But... Uh, to people who are low income and living in an old drafty house, that was significant. And I, I mean, the debate on it was very interesting because uh, Governor Vilsack, the Democratic governor at the time, dead set against it. He was opposed. He was so angry about it that he called a caucus. Uh, that's all the Democrats in the House and Senate came and met with the governor. And he was furious with us. Uh, there were, I think, 11 Democrats who voted against it. And he gave them all a standing applause, uh, stand, uh, an, an applause. Uh, a standing ovation, but I think he was the only one standing. But the, um, <laughs> the, but the, the, and, and I was like, no, this is a good idea. I don't, you know, I, I, and maybe you, maybe you would agree with me, but I thought, okay, if we can help people out who are struggling with heating bills with, you know, just, even if it's a few hundred bucks, that matters. And so that, right, you know, it's a few hundred dollars for some people who really need it, and it's a whole lot of money for people who don't. And here, I would say it's the same. I would, I'm on logically in the same place. What you need to do is stop those homes from being so wasteful yeah, right. of electricity. Fair enough. You need to support a weatherization program, which used to be in this state a lot better than it is now. Yeah, and it was a lot better. Because there was more money going into it. Yeah, and it was so a lot you, better back then, yep. Yeah, so you continue to take money out of government by saying let's have less taxes. If you have fewer people paying taxes, you don't have as many services. And the way to fight this is to try to make sure that low-income people don't live in those drafty houses and have uh, better heating systems. Yeah. That takes money, and you're taking it out because of something that's temporary, something that's uh, just a kind of, uh, I'd say, po political showmanship. Yeah. And it is a bad policy. I think that the probably taxes on utilities, if it could be used for weatherization programs or just subsidizing the bills of only low-income people, not everybody, that would be a better thing to do. Yeah. All right. So, hey, back, back to the big picture now. Again, President Biden responding to the war in Ukraine and that war's impact on gas prices. And um, and part of that response is to, you know, again, eliminate the sales tax on gasoline. But another part of that response is to beef up domestic production. And you're saying, of course, that doing more to immediately move us forward on renewable energy would make a lot more sense. You know, I don't, I don't know how I could disagree with that at all. That's, um, that, that to me is obvious. I'm, it's amazing that it's not obvious to the president. What's missing here? It's Why? amazing to me, too, that you look to uh, high gas prices. Let's, you know, let's subsidize the whole process there rather than let's make let's compete with those guys. 
and you do that, even if you're doing a utility companies versus the petroleum industry, that's better to uh, have it, make it easier for Alliant and Mid Mid American, uh, their utility companies producing electricity in this state. Uh, they they could be encouraged to do more renewable energy. Better than that is homeowners encouraged to do more with their own solar on their roofs. Right. All of those things would lead to an expansion of energy not under the control of these guys, these yeah. oil guys. Yeah, and and why 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 is the president not doing that? I got good question. Why is uh, why is he doing that? I'm not sure. Why aren't the Democrats taking on carbon pipelines? I'm not sure. Maybe because both of them are bad ideas. <laughs> I thought you were going to say most of them are bad, meaning Democrats. Oh no no no! Just no. bad ideas. They're, okay. They're good good people can have uh, both incorrectly. So. Would I be out of line to speculate that perhaps part of the reason is that there's too much fossil fuel money in politics, not just on the Republican side of the aisle, but on the yeah, Democratic maybe. side as well? I, I, I'm not sure. I, I mean, that's a little facile. I, I'm not sure why. It's, it seems like somebody has said this will help you uh, in the midterms, and it might. But I think that really making sure that you're more consistent on climate change by saying we need to have more renewable energy, that's going to be better than um, a whole bunch of things like giving away subsidies hither, hither and with thither that um, re- realize go to some of the low-income people you're thinking about, but go to a whole lot of other people too. It's just not – So it's not a big deal if it's 20 uh, – 20, gallons of week that you're going to use, um, you know, your 18 cents time those gallons is an expensive cup of coffee. Lots of people uh, would just have that second latte. Right. <laughs> so, David, I, I do think that uh, that money is a part of the problem, that you've got um, politicians, uh, many Democrats, who um, take money from fossil fuel interests, who that influences how they decide to to vote. And uh, I think that's part of the problem. I would say that I don't think it's the only part of the problem. I mean, maybe it's not the biggest part of the problem. As you, as you said, uh, they're concerned about what will happen in the next election. And right now, the uh, corporate media, and uh, I, I would say specifically the, the far-right corporate media, is relentless about every time you turn on on uh, on the on a commercial radio station that features Clay and Buck and and you know anybody who's a successor to Rush Limbaugh and by the way I listen to those programs so you don't have to but um, what you hear is a constant beating of the drum President Biden's fault President Biden's fault President Biden's fault and again I'm not I'm I'm not I'm not saying he's I'm not saying he's innocent of uh, of poor decisions at all I think blaming high gas prices on him is is just uh, juvenile. But they get away with it. They get away with it. And I can see why it's hard for a candidate to say, yeah, I'm going to do the right thing here because, uh, oh, wait, I'm going to lose if I do that. And the polling doesn't, does, polling doesn't come out very well on that. You know? But so where I'm going with this is, you know, since, since, they, since the, the power of, uh, of commercial radio in particular, but also you've got Fox News, Newsmax, OAN, 
you know, these voices are so loud right now and so organized. I mean, they have the same message, the same persistent drumbeat over and over and over again. Yeah, that, you know, if that's what you're hearing, then yeah, you're going to believe that Joe Biden is responsible for every problem in the world. Uh, and you're going to believe that the only way out of it is to vote Republican. And, you know, at least, at least the mainstream media uh, on balance is fairly nonpartisan. These other entities are entirely and emphatically partisan. And that's what people are hearing. And so, yeah, besides the money in, the, in, in politics from the oil industry, this messaging is relentless. And I understand that it's, you know, it makes it really, really difficult to rise, to have any kind of intelligent conversation rise above that din. Yeah, but I think that people also realize that the oil prices have gone up because of, of just overcharging by a bunch of uh, rich oil companies. So I don't think that they're, uh, you know, riding white horses and they're the ones that we support. So I think that, um, I don't know what Biden ought to do. He ought to do this and whether he should then go after an excess profits tax to make sure that those we get some of that money back and then give it back to low-income people. Um, maybe that's a, better, that's a better solution. But, but as far as energy, figure out ways of having energy produced that the oil companies don't control. Yep. Well, it makes sense to me. I think it makes sense scientifically, politically, uh, in terms of national security, it makes a heck of a lot of sense. Uh, again, uh, getting the message out there. Uh, <laughs> uh, maybe the best way to get the message out there is to have good candidates of whatever persuasion, you know, hammering that home repeatedly. Wow. Hey, uh, David, I got to take a short break. Uh, David Osterberg, folks, with us the uh, uh, better part of the program today. We got to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about electric cars. Are they good? Are they bad? Are they mixed? We'll find out in a second on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes prescription and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Western Optometry located in Des Moines East Village. Happy Fourth of July weekend, folks, and welcome back to the Fallon Forum. You know, you can support this alternative to the angry shock jocks by becoming a monthly donor or a business sponsor. Check out the Fallon Forum website for details. 
Uh, thanks to psychiatrist Dr. David Drake, wherever you live in Iowa, Dr. Drake can help through the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling offered on a self-pay basis. Contact David Drake, familypsychiatry.com. All right, again, with me today, David Osterberg, who drives a Tesla, who believes in, in electric cars, and who has yes. some, who has some, some concerns despite that commitment. David, share your perspective on electric cars with us. Well, I think that uh, right now, first of all, uh, electric cars are the future. It's, it's coming. We, you look at Ford, you look at GM, they're making commitments. We're going to have so many more models of electric cars in the next couple of years. Right now, it makes good sense to have a Tesla because of the charging network that exists. Um, my wife it, and I just went out to the East Coast, and um, about every two hours, two and a half hours, we needed to stop, put a little more uh, electricity into the battery, and uh, then get a cup of coffee or, um, you know, I'm an older gentleman, so go find a bathroom. <laughs> and uh, it just, just seemed like very convenient way of traveling across. You country. said it's convenient to have a Tesla, but I say if you can afford one. Well, what are, what are they running well, for these days? Right. And, and uh, all of a sudden, the prices have jumped. Um, but when I bought mine, it was the same price as the average cost of a new vehicle in America. $39,000. That's that the average cost? That's right. That's, wow. I was surprised that it was that high, but, you know, Google that. Remember, people are buying these gigantic trucks that cost fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000. Okay. So altogether, the average price of a new vehicle is that high. But so, so, some uh, of us are buying... They haven't bought a new vehicle lately, but they are that expensive. Okay. And uh, until Tesla has jumped <clears throat> the price of its... Uh, cars by about six thousand yeah. uh, dollars i was right at the average yeah i'm i'm seeing that uh that uh the teslas right now are running from forty eight thousand up to sixty two thousand. right and mine yeah. was 39 well, that's that's a, yeah and we we bought a secondhand prius for 17 which is still a lot but it's a far cry from you know from fifty thousand. i mean a lot of people well, it are, is but yeah. you didn't want to have um Ford F-150 or something like that, <laughs> yeah. which you could easily, you wouldn't spend $17,000, you would spend $47,000. So isn't, isn't part of the problem that, uh, that charging stations for some types of electric vehicles just aren't available? Well, they aren't, but they are becoming available. I mean, that's, one, that's another thing that Biden ought to be doing and did. There are $25 million dollars coming into our state, Iowa, for new charging stations, and we're going to see just so many more of them in the next couple of years. Right now, though, the charging network was set up by Elon Musk because he's, um, you know, an evil genius. And, uh, <laughs> he's, he's decided that uh, right now that's what you want to do. Yeah. You know, I, I come to Des Moines, I can either charge in uh, Altoona or in West Des Moines. There's right. charging stations. And char and that takes you then to get another hundred miles, hundred and fifty miles of range, about uh, twenty-five minutes. So Elon Musk, uh, e evil genius. I mean, he's uh, his uh, his creation of a 
charging network that is good for his business only, bad for the planet. But um, well, why does he care? He's planning to leave the planet anyhow and go somewhere else, right? That's right. <laughs> yeah, no, that he may open it up, but only if he makes a lot of money. Well, he may open it up to other vehicles. And yeah. He, I think he's done that in Europe already, and it may very well happen here. Um, when I go to a charging station, there are eight bays generally, and um, rarely do I find more than three two, three cars there, sometimes none. So how many? So, how long does it take you to charge? About 25 minutes. And so what if electric vehicles get as popular as we project that they might, and how does that, how does that work if there are eight? Then you better have more charging stations. And if you're, if you're not dumb, right. that's what you'll do. You'll have many, many more charging okay. stations. But the solution... And, and this is what's happened. Again, we're, this is Iowa. When I bought this car in April of last year, there was a charging station in Davenport, there was one in Dubuque, there was one in Coralville. Uh, that's the area in eastern Iowa. Since then, they've opened one in Mount Pleasant, another one near Davenport, one in Waterloo, one in Cedar Rapids, and a second one in the Iowa City next not Coralville, but Iowa so, City. So in other words... All you, of those have happened since, since I bought the right. car. You go from three to eight. That's what you do. Yeah. And so are those all Elon Musk-owned charging stations? Yes, they are. Okay. So if he expands this network, which he's sounds like he's going to do, the more of those he has set up ahead of time, the more money he's going to make when they are retrofitted to allow other cars to access them, correct? Or unless you go to the one in Waterloo and you have eight of his chargers and then two others for any car. Yeah, they were already beginning these, again. I see what you mean by evil genius. You, first of all, most of the time you charge your electric car in your garage. And you have, mm. if, as long as you have 220 current out there, you can charge in about five hours. But a supercharger does the same thing in about 20 to 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. That's what a supercharger is. Elon Musk doesn't have the monopoly on them. And the new money that came out in the infrastructure bill means that there will be more and more other kinds of chargers besides the Tesla chargers. So what, because you know, there'll be more and more cars besides Tesla because then it'll make sense right. to get one. So, to me, the words that really catch my attention here are more and more, because that, that seems to be the only direction America and the world at this point are able to go, is more and more, bigger and bigger, uh, you know, larger and larger. And, uh, you know, at some point, is that model going to break and fail and fail gloriously and permanently? I mean, we have limited resources. Uh, we have a, an entire economic model based on growth and consumption. Uh, to the detriment of, uh, of, of so many things, including our natural world and our mental health. Uh, at some point, do we have to wrestle with the reality that more and more is not going to work for us? Uh, that, uh, that there are higher values in life than a bigger GMP? Sure, sure there are. But right now the question is, do I buy a gasoline car or do I buy an electric car? And it's not more if I get an electric instead of a, a gas-fired or a, a, 
internal combustion engine car. Right. So it isn't more necessarily. Okay, it's 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 shifting, but again, to accommodate that shift, uh, we're looking at vast solar arrays. We're looking at putting windmills in many many places more than they are currently. Um, you know, at what point does con- conservation become a higher priority? Well, I think it's always a higher priority. It ought to be, and that's why my the electric car I have doesn't use any gasoline, but the other car, my my wife and I have two cars, is a hybrid. Mm. So I get 41 miles to the gallon on that one, Mm. which is better than the average. So yeah, you can serve for sure. And um, conservation is a good idea. You you should do that before you put your uh, electric uh, you know, photovoltaic panels on your roof. The first thing you do is insulate your house. Yes, that's right. But it doesn't mean you don't do the electric panels. Right. And part of the problem is that the utility companies really don't want us to insulate our homes because they make more money when we waste electricity. I mean, I, that's I, that's, right. that, that well, sounds very similar. Uh, in, in Iowa, we had a very good law passed in 1990 that force those utility companies to insulate my house and pay 70% of the cost. Back when you that were a legislator. the law. We yeah. wrote that law. Right. And the governor, the Republican governor signed it over the, objection, right. over the objections of the big utility companies. They, and he did, and he was correct. How come that doesn't happen anymore? I don't know. But, I mean, think about also, we used to have in Iowa since 2012, a, uh, a tax credit you got when you put solar panels on your roof. That was passed when we had a Republican governor and a Republican House and a Democratic Senate. Uh, you could do those kinds of things, and the credit was big. It was half of whatever the federal tax credit for having more solar was. Right. But now they got rid of that. They got rid of that. Because the Even big, when they were giving away tax breaks right. that just about anybody could walk right. would get a tax break, except people who wanted to put solar panels right. on their roof. And they got rid of it because the big utility companies wanted it gone. They got rid of it because somebody said that Democrats might like it. That's the reason they got rid of it. Really? Even though I'm sure <clears throat> half the people who put solar panels on their homes were not Democrats. Okay, um, yeah, uh, but my, my impression is that they, uh, you know, you, the, the, the big utility company, well, the two big ones here in Iowa, have gotten more, more and more powerful over the years, uh, and they've had, I mean, it was, it was Democrats in the Senate that opposed some of the, uh, uh, the things that people, conservationists, wanted to do. Um, yeah, so I, I just, uh, I, I, I don't know what to say about that. I just think if... Um, if we're going to have any success, we've got to somehow get the utility companies to to respond to real need, to respond to uh, to things other than their ability to control and own it all. I mean, you know, we talk favorably about wind energy as a great alternative to fossil fuels, but, um, uh, you know, they're all owned by mid-American energy here. Well, not all, but uh, the vast majority yeah, is... a lot of them are. Yeah, it's, all, yeah. It's, it's one big company. And remember that one big company 
wouldn't allow any wind. It would never. It never supported wind energy back in the early '90s, back in the mid '90s when you and I were both right. at the state house. They opposed everything until, until, the legislature allowed them to own it, <laughs> and suddenly they were okay with it. And I think that's that's where we're going with solar too, right? They're gonna continue to fight against people putting solar panels on their roofs. They're going to continue to fight, um, you know, other progressive reforms in solar energy that are uh, helpful to individuals, uh, owned by individuals. But when they can control it all, they'll be okay with it. Right. But re- realize that MidAmerican also tried to get rid of solar panels, not just tax credit, but also even allowing you to make any money with your solar panels. Right. And they got their head handed to them because they ran up against the pork producers. Right, because the, 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 this is kind of a, for those who aren't familiar with this is like a, an ouch moment. But yes, the, the big hog confinements learned that they could put solar panels on their industrial scale buildings and save a bunch of money. Uh, and that's what was able to defeat the utility corporation. So, yeah, that's the one thing that's still more powerful than the big utility in Iowa is the big hog confinements. Yeah, that's true. And, yeah. uh, and the reason why, as a former legislator who takes positions on each of these issues, and sometimes it's against my governor or my president, is because there are no permanent enemies. I, when uh, I fought gambling, which I was an anti-gambling Democrat, and mainly it was uh, the Republicans who opposed gambling, mm-hmm. my comrades were the kind of people who would, I would never agree with on 80% of the stuff. But, boy, we were yeah. comrades. So They didn't like that term. They didn't like that term we at all, did they? Right. When it came to gambling. Well, now, now, you, now you, those former comrades live in, quote, red states or red districts, so... Who knows? Uh, I think the whole vernacular has changed. But so, um, so you said there are no permanent enemies. Are there any permanent friends? Yeah, generally, uh, I think that um, I, I, that's why I'm a Democrat. I believe that uh, Democrats generally care more about people than Republicans do, and especially low-income people. Well, I'll have to have a Republican on this show again that says the opposite, just to give it some balance. And I do. Well, I've you had, might I, have them, but you're going to have a hell of a time finding one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have. I have. Had, I've had plenty of. Well, maybe you're. You're probably aware of the series we did last year. Uh, Thirteen weeks in a row, we interviewed uh, Iowa Trump voters. Um, several of them yes. with, with political connections. I think those conversations are important. Um, I, I think I, they are too. No, yeah. I'm, I'm. I'm happy you did that. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, you know, we could we could go on a while, David. I'm sure uh, we have a. We've covered a bunch of ground. I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. And, uh, yes, and I, I always love con- talking to you, Ed, and uh, we probably do agree maybe more than 50% of the okay. time. Okay, well, I hope not too. we do disagree too. I just hope we don't agree much more than 50% of the time. That would, that would worry me. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, we've been talking with uh, David Osterberg. Uh, again, David, thank you for joining us. Folks, when we come back, Kathy Burns is going to join me. We're going to be giving, uh, we'll do, we'll do our, our July Garden Q&A. Yes, there's plenty to talk about in the realm of uh, things you got to deal with when the midsummer months hit for your garden. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. 
Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Klipsham is adamantly and actively committed to supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Mark knows we must all live and work with the goal of building better health for both people and planet. And he works to implement that vision through his stewardship of architecture by synthesis. You can learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures, great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Hope you've had a wonderful 4th of July weekend and week for that matter. Remember, you can support this alternative to the shock jocks by becoming a monthly donor, or if you own a small business or run a nonprofit, you can become a sponsor of this program as well. Uh, thanks to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has cared for all creatures, great and tiny, for over 30 years. You can learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. All right, Kathy Burns with me, and we are digging into our, no pun intended, July <laughs> Garden Q&A segment. Uh, Kathy, what have you got for us? Well, we've got summer heat, we've got bugs, we've got critters, uh, we've got a lot of <laughs> questions. So the first question uh, we want to talk about was sent in from one of our Birds and Bees Urban Farm Workshop participants. Uh, she just basically says, hey, there are black bugs all over my artichokes. Are they aphids? What do I do? Um, I had not seen aphids like this before. She sent me a picture, mm. and they—they they, we're used to the little tiny green, green, green or black or orange sometimes. But they're tiny, and you yeah, almost really can't tiny. see them because all the ants are on there um, <laughs> farming them. So uh, I, these aphids were about the size of a pinhead, actually, very black mm. with a po little pointy head. Mm. And I just did some searching. Um, maybe other people have seen these, but I believe they were black spruce aphids. Huh. And uh, they do tend to like where there are some spruce trees, but they were all over her artichokes. So we talked about what you and I usually do, Ed, is um, it might be a good idea to give them a little gentle stream with your hose, knock as many off as you can, and then put some neem oil, uh, very diluted yeah, the way yeah. that because I, I once says. I once put a, a, a too strong of a mix of neem oil on a young artichokes and burned the, the foliage. Mm, I mean, a they bit, they, re, they came back. They recovered okay, but it was a sad moment. So neem oil <laughs> is the oil from a a, a tree that right. uh, that is natural, and you do, it yeah. smells kind of kind of ne sharp. Neem oil, or as I like to call it, Leonard. Leonard neem oil. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> we'll see how that goes for her, but that would be the first course of action. Hmm, yeah. Um, the second question was, uh, somebody had a picture on a Facebook gardening page. Their zucchini plant was looking beautiful. They had a storm a couple nights ago, and it just cracked the top half off. And you can see in the picture, there are fruits on, there are blossoms on, and there are still numerous leaves, but you've just got the base of the plant without all the stuff uh, funneling out of, out of the top of the plant. So 
this person was wondering, do I have to, is this it for it? And I don't think that's it for it. It looks like there's enough leaves to photosynthesize yeah, and keep that plant going. It's a very aggressive plant. It should bounce back. I mean, some people do wait till after the 4th of July to plant zucchini in order mm -hmm. to avoid squash vine borers. But you have a better, I, I, I like your solution to the squash vine borer well, problem. Well, I think it helps. We've been, Seems to. When, the, when the stem is a significant length, you know, more than a couple inches, then we dig very gently around the dirt around the base of that plant and wrap a little foil underneath the soil and then up mm, yeah. the stem, not on there too tightly, but it seems to be a barrier to Just, the vine borers. But for this plant that broke, we uh, also think that's a good idea. She might want to put some, some diatomaceous earth around the top of that in case that's a vulnerable oh, point for that yeah. plant bugs for bugs get to in get there. in. Yep, yep. Also, keep that plant well watered because a break like that, that big, that's going to evaporate a lot of water right. out of that plant quickly. So I would keep that plant nice and moist. Good. Uh, Ed, <laughs> this is one you and I are still looking into. <laughs> How do I get rid of those pesky oh, chipmunks? Gosh. Oh, I don't know. It, <laughs> we, we've never had a chipmunk problem till this year. and Not like this. Well, here's the coincidence. Our cat died last year. Oh, that may be it. That may I be wonder it. If okay, that's... so the solution to pesky chipmunks is get a cat? That's a good idea. <laughs> I'm going to try the human hair, but I need to cut more hair. I can't help there. No, you're, I can't you're not very help. good at I'm follically that. challenged. Put that around where the chipmunks are. Also, Bob Vila recommends, and he's, he's a, you know, the, the TV garden guy, um, that you can uh, mix a quart of water with boiled water with two tablespoons of cayenne, and when it's cool, two tablespoons of olive oil. So just uh, spray that directly around the area where you've been seeing the chipmunks. So we are going to try that. Mm. We have cayenne. Well, we have a hot pepper. I'm sure they're all yeah. going to be effective. And we have olive oil and we have a sprayer. So, so but where do you spray it, though? I mean, chipmunks are evasive. I mean, they're everywhere. They're yeah. everywhere. Well, ours seem to live along. We, they seem to run underneath some cement stairs at the edge of the house hmm. and they probably have a little domicile in there and hmm. I'm going to spray 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 around there and, and if right. they can't get to their home maybe they will go elsewhere like like our neighbor's gardens <laughs> sorry but nice. we can't go another year having only one strawberry that we got to eat <laughs> because they've been eating them <laughs> what else you got well you know this one uh, somebody had a picture of their of a cabbage worm that was on their kale the cabbage worm had all kinds of little white wormy things on top of it. Wait, a cabbage? Well, a, a loper. loper. A cabbage loper. Really? I, I'm, you're talking when, about the, the, the parasitic moths. Yes. I've, I've yeah. never seen them on a cabbage loper. I've seen them on uh, on uh, hornworms that are on tomato plants. Really? Um, this person said it was a cabbage worm. You know, I, some, I, I didn't yeah. look at the picture too closely, but... Either way, yeah. if you see the little white wiggly worms on top of a bigger well, worm that's eating your plants, they almost look like like what like Rice Krispies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or little or little shinier. grains of rice. They're yeah. shinier. Shinier. And they and, wiggle. And they're tastier. Well, well <laughs> I wouldn't taste them. No, we have okay. a friend who might taste one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but, um, but yeah, no, those are those are uh, those are your best friend. Those and a, a ladybug, mm -hmm. and a, a praying mantises. Yeah, you bring those home. Well, the little white, the little white worms are, are wasp larvae. Yeah, parasitic moths. And you leave them wasps. on, and they will kill the big worm that's eating your plant. They won't eat your plant, so that, they're yeah. a friend. I've never seen them on a cabbage lobe, but that could be. Why not? That's a, that looks as pretty much as juicy as a hornworm. 
I mean, if I was a parasitic uh, moth, I would go You're making some green beans for supper tonight. I'm going to look carefully <laughs> to make sure you're not slipping a few green worms. Yeah, I, I'd recommend that. <laughs> and this one we deal with every year. My unripe tomatoes are showing signs of rotting at the base. Do they need more water? No, that's uh, that's uh, blossom and rot, mm-hmm. probably. I, mm-hmm. I, I haven't seen the photographs, but, you know, and usually that tends to hit plants earlier rather than later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, this um, person might have gotten their plants in just, well, and it, it, some people's plants are just coming on. The tomatoes are just yeah. coming on. But it's also uh, irregular watering. Huh? Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you're watering, and sometimes you can't help your watering schedule because the clouds will make that decision for you. But, right. But, yeah, if you can help it, don't overdo the watering or don't underdo it. Well, and if you've tried all of that, if you've tried to just check your watering and it's it's been, you know, a little while, your tomatoes aren't newly coming on anymore and they're still showing that, try mixing a little calcium substance like crushed eggshell into the soil, mix it in, water it in, and uh, it might, the calcium might help that plant or that fruit stay a little stronger. Yeah. Hey, well, uh, thanks for joining us today, folks. Uh, And thanks to my guest, uh, David Osterberg, and to our production team of Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, Charles Goldman, Kathy Burns, and myself, Ed Fallon. And thanks to our local small business partners, including Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Westrom Optometry, and Dr. David Drake Family Psychiatry. Thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Bold Iowa and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. Remember, your support for this program matters a heck of a lot. So go to the Fallon Forum website to learn more about how you can make a difference. Thanks again, and remember, we'll be back next week with another hour of Cutting Edge Talk Radio. <laughs>